Welcome to Not Enough Champagne, a podcast that can almost see the light at the end of the tunnel. My name is Corey Hazelest. I'm my partner in propaganda is Steve Haynes. Hey, Corey. And we're also joined from New York by Patrick, our friend across the pond. Hello, Patrick. Hello, Corey and Steve. Happy uh, rainy day, rainy overcast day from New York where it's definitely fall because it's cold. A rainy day in New York. They must be doing it for the latest Woody Allen release, I'm guessing. Incredibly, there is less than one month to go until the US presidential election, or to put that in COVID time, it's about two and a half years. We've already had the October surprise, or have we? a week but i I suppose it's been quite a a decade actually in u.s politics but um let's start with a couple of things that have happened over the past week so patrick there was a presidential debate and that debate reminded me of some of the worst of the lessons i've done there were lots of interruptions lots of anger lots of insults being flown or thrown i should say i think you throw insults i think you fly them but they were flying around I'm not really making much sense, but basically it it was pretty acrimonious, wasn't it? Uh, Yeah. First, who fights with the moderator? Who does that? Especially a guy that's from Fox News with questions that were uh, softballs for for Trump to attack Biden with and to answer how he wanted. But yeah, it uh, nothing was uh, gleamed for that. Biden doesn't really have to say much when uh, Trump kind of made it all about himself and didn't exactly portray an image of you should vote for me because I know what's going on and how to fix the country. If you're down in the polls considerably like uh, Trump is, you need to portray this rough one, a new deal for America that new deal for America and that you uh, know what you're doing and you have a grasp on what you want to do in the next four years. And for the debates mean something. And I don't think any of that happened during that debate. It just was it was rough to watch. Were you surprised that Trump portrayed himself as narcissistic and self-obsessed during the debate? No. <laughs> but you would think that like that he wouldn't come in as so defensive as he did going to that. He came in like definitely like like he had been wronged and he was going to take out retribution on Biden one way or another. It, you expect him to be self-centered and narcissistic, but you don't expect him to be that big of a bully to both the moderator and your your opponent. You would expect him to be like, you're wrong and here's reason why. Fact point here, fact point here. I'm great. Fake news this, fake news that. But it was very much like I talked. Biden's going to talk. Now, uh, I'm going to interrupt you because uh, that's not true. Instead of allowing Biden to probably end up with the way that Biden debates, saying something wrong and you taking advantage of it. You got no videos that you can use in ads if you're the, Biden, if you're the Trump campaign from what happened in that debate. He, 
didn't give enough time for Biden to talk that didn't include Trump shouting over him from across the way. Yeah, I, I think the, the kind of the main thing really for from, from Trump's perspective with the debate was that he needed to go into that and actually use it as a bit of a game changer, um, as I think Patrick alluded to. But th- the reality is everything that went into that debate from Trump's side was just so chaotic and catastrophic that, that there, there was no game-changing moment in there, which immediately, moving into like the final weeks of the campaign, puts Trump on the back foot. Now, in theory, there's meant to be another couple of debates between Trump and Biden in practice, as we'll go on to discuss, I'm sure. Those probably aren't happening now. Um, so his one opportunity to try and shift the narrative um, of the election into something that would allow him to to to, to narrow the polls um, has, has completely gone. Given everything else that's happened over the past week or so, it's, it's going to take a, a near miracle for uh, Trump to be in a position where legitimately he's able to win, win an election. Yeah, there's a couple of things that strike me. One of them is we've talked about pos- uh, about toxic masculinity, toxic masculinity quite a bit on the podcast, and I think the debate was definitely an example of that. I think in the in the Trump Clinton debate, it was a, a, a sort of a different example of a bully, wasn't it? It was kind of Trump looming behind Hillary while she was speaking, whereas with this one, maybe because Biden is a as a man doesn't feel the need to, he feels the need to intimidate him more overtly with interrupting. And then the other thing was in the, in the debate, Trump mocking Joe Biden for wearing a mask. Um, and in fact, I think one of the other things is that during the the, uh, the Trump camp and the Biden camp um, were asked by the debate, debate conveners to wear masks while you're there, all that kind of stuff. And the Biden team did and the Trump team didn't. Trump mocks Biden for wearing masks excessively during the debate. And then lo and behold, Trump has contracted coronavirus obviously thoughts and prayers we wish him well but uh is that not slightly because they haven't taken very much care could one say yeah yeah i mean i think it's fair to say that they haven't taken much care i mean quite literally they've been able to trace back pretty much seemingly um where a number of the uh, members of the White House administration have uh, contracted um, COVID-19 to the kind of like garden press conference, which had a load of like press, media people, Republican congressmen, senators and things there for um, Amy Coney Barrett, uh, Trump's nominee for um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat on the Supreme Court. Everything kind of comes back to that um, one event, seemingly. And you can see in that people that there is video footage of people who've come out and confirmed that they've got coronavirus, um, you know, going up, hugging everybody, shaking people's hands, celebrating, like not social distancing in any form. And uh, yeah, so on, on a kind of like the level of personal responsibility that people have people were weren't doing it properly there uh, at that event and in terms of the general layout and kind of like of, of the event you rather than having like you know fewer people there with just um sat in chairs kind of further further apart than normal it's just lines of chairs as, as per any other kind of press event and lo and behold everybody's gotten sick from it if you're not going to take it seriously if you're all people who aren't going to be wearing masks and and have been kind of railing against it like you are going to get ill eventually. Um, and unfortunately for Donald Trump and his campaign, it's come at the worst time for them. Yeah. 
great point at the end and hitting a nail head. Like you couldn't, first off, that we're starting to vote. If you follow this electoral project one where he actually tracks out all the early voting as of like earlier today, 4.8 million people have already voted, which is like just under 4% of 2016's turnout. And at this time, it was a lot less, like 150,000 people had actually voted early. Time is not on Trump's side, but to Corey's point from other one, my favorite also part about the debate was there was not, there were, you're supposed to have a negative test that was uh, taken that day, but they all got there late. So they went on honor systems that they actually had negative tests on the one. And so apparently the Trump campaign said, yeah, he got a negative test yesterday. Uh, we, supposedly they don't have the, we don't have the stuff, but trust us. So Cleveland County was like, I guess uh, can't send him away because got to have the debate, but he was, right. they were supposed to have a negative test done there, but they all were, uh, arrived later. For example, Chris Wallace arrived on Sunday and he had his test Biden Monday, but he had a negative test in hand and Trump arrived like Tuesday and said, no, 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 we did. I got a negative test. I don't have the information, but trust us. I suppose Donald Trump is someone you can famously take his word. I think the, the thing I, that struck me about the, the super spreader event in the, well, I think it's now being called the super spreader event, isn't it? The, with Amy Comey Barrett and the, announcing her nominee, which I think now means that the Trump White House now has more cases in it than the whole of New Zealand. And two other countries as well. Really? Wow. Yeah. Um, but, uh, Taiwan and Vietnam. Wow. But the, the, the thing that strikes me, and it's something we've sort of mentioned about the conservatives' approach to coronavirus as well, is it's this lust to want to act like everything is normal and to think that we can go back to things the way we were right now, which is just not going to happen. And I can see why... Trump thinks it's a good idea to show everything is normal. And he seems to be doing it again, you know, discharging himself from hospital and going out on the balcony, even though he's pretty obvious he's having difficulty breathing. But it's just this need to project that you're around and that you're capable of doing something. Yeah, I mean, I think a big part of it just boils down to that, um, like that thing we've discussed, I've lost track of how many times we've talked about it now, but it's that populist influence within um, seemingly the right um at the moment whereby if, if something's gone wrong you you can't admit it's gone wrong because then you failed and you're responsible for it and you can't admit that because then you know you've you've been railing against the system and you've just become the system so you've you've kind of proven that you're not not, not good enough or whatever so they can't admit that which means they have to try and focus on on getting things back to some form of normality which in some areas maybe that can that can work but when you're dealing with a pandemic such as this, it, it just can't, um, which just leaves you in a position where, as you say, they are trying desperately to get people back to normality or, or the old normal. Where, like, like if you take the UK for instance, where you had the government saying, "Oh yeah, it's time to get back into the office. Everybody, it's going to be fine," kind of like under the notion that, "Oh, we need to do it because we need to save all the jobs in Costa Coffee and and, and things like that." When you know it wasn't sensible to do that at all, and lo and behold, that's been proven correct. Um, and you've got a very similar strain of thing happening in 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 the United States as well, because it's all kind of it's all the same kind of ideological kind of spectrum in, in, in many, many ways, um, kind of all coming from the same kind of place. And it's all about not listening to experts. It's all about kind of, we are strong men in some capacity and we can fix this. The, but the issue is strong men of the past 
when they've been able to kind of actually leverage power to, to get themselves in there have normally been competent in some capacity. There are an awful lot of things you can say against um, like the likes of Stalin, for instance, um, or Lenin or, or whatever, but they were very good at getting things done a lot of the time, at least in the early parts. <laughs> And you I can't mean, say that please, about Trump. Please you can't don't say that. Mussolini trains me on time argument. <laughs> I mean, he I'm never not made emotionally t- equipped I'm, to deal with an argument like that at the moment. No, it's it's not about not not about Mussolini running the trains on time. It's about them actually being able to give off that aura of competency, which is just not capable. Which you need a certain base level of something there to, to work off of for that and you don't have that with with boris johnson you don't have that with trump because everybody knows who they are and everybody knows what they are um and so they're just kind of stuck kind of treading water not able to move anywhere because of the circumstances maybe they need a five-year plan <laughs> or a some kind of cultural revolution one would say <laughs> that's dominic cummings idea oh great point it's kind of right in tried since M- mo to do mo to how he got himself elected in 2016 he basically met a what has now turned into his base uh how they see the world in that very black and white like to people in michigan saying i bring manufacturing jobs back and that nafta is the reason you don't have a job in china china is the reason you lost your jobs and anything there he gave for free he knew that a nuance he doesn't have to do a nuance argument to, to explaining why things are happening. You know, he figures out that he can do it a very simple thing. And if in coronavirus is, is the same exact idea. There's a select, he doesn't believe and most of his voters, and he, he's not forced to have to meet his voters to show them that it's going to be tough and that we're going to have to work together and we're going to have, the economy is going to suffer in the short term for the fact for the good of the health of the nation. He understands that there's a solid amount of his base and his base first strategy is that they don't think this thing exists because they don't know anybody else in their small social circuit uh, uh, circle that has gotten COVID, so it can't be a thing. And that's kind of the logic for a certain amount of these, what they were, low information voters and especially working class, you know, non-educated white voters, which is his, basically his base. And now... And just, you know, irony is dead and Trump killed it that um, he didn't take it seriously. And now it is coming to bite him and he has no answer for it. And as you said, Steve, before it came at the worst possible time that he could want it to be. Well, I suppose actually it's um, the the line since he left hospital is, well, he he got it, but now he's recovered. And actually it's not as bad as you think. So it's it's okay. Um, Which... I mean, talking about bending the facts to fit your will, I think it's fair to say there hasn't really been a rally around the flag moment in a way that some of the more, certainly on UK Twitter, there was a bit more of a Boris Johnson had a um, a rally around the flag moment and rose in popularity um, after he caught the, 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 the disease, um, which was debunked by a few pollsters on, on Twitter. Not that that stops some people. Why would logic and facts get in the way of an argument? I mean, well... It was literally clear on the graph, like it was even annotated on the graph they were sharing. And it was just like, but there's clearly a rise. And it's like, no, 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 there isn't. <laughs> it's like, just read the graph properly. And it's clear. Um, but Joe Biden sort of popping along, doing his thing, still doing low key events, which probably looks even more vindicated considering what's happened to Trump. The polls are looking a bit of a blowout, aren't they? I think I've seen a 16 point lead. 
um, I realized that I'm now going to invert myself. I've been the voice of doom and skepticism all the way through. And I promise we will probably get there. But you're seeing pretty comprehensive leads for Biden in a few North Carolina Senate race was a announced a toss up today. Was it South Carolina? One of the Carolinas. North Carolina is a toss-up and a swing state normally. If South Carolina is a toss-up, then we're in blowout territory for Biden in terms of performance. Because is that Lindsey Graham. Yes, yeah, Lindsey Graham. Yeah, I think that, it was- which is which is a seat which is in danger um, based on the amount that's being fundraised and the fact that the uh, Republicans have had to like throw emergency money into the state to try and um, keep uh, Graham's seat um, red. So they're, they're... I highly suggest that you guys watch the highlights from his debate with Jamie with, with Jamie um, Jamie Harrison because uh, it is unbelievable how uh, unbelievable performance by Jamie Harrison that he started off by bringing his own plexiglass shield when he walked onto the walked onto the debate stage and put it around his podium. It is worth finding the highlights of it. It is unbelievable. <laughs> Uh, that's both good public health and a very apt metaphor for American political discourse. I'm just going to, I'm going to caveat that by saying, of course, Trump's still going to win because he won't accept the result and will start a civil war. Yes. You just had to get the pessimism in there, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> but you you are right about the, um, about the polling and the kind of like the sub um, sub subsample breakdowns, all um, kind of in being indicative of a very very strong performance for Biden um, amongst um, I think it's the sixty five plus demographic and I think what is it white college educated women who tradition well, I say traditionally last like in twenty sixteen Trump lost that demographic something like fifty seven forty three or, or something like that you know not like. It significantly significant enough that it you, you go oh that's a problem for them but like it's dropped even further this time around so you are left with them l- losing significant numbers of voters including voters as i say in the 65 plus demographic who should be natural for republicans in pretty much every way you would have thought but the i don't know what like whether it's coronavirus and the handling of that and the fact that you know 200,000 people have died people can't go and see their families and they can't see their grandkids or their kids or or, or whatever maybe it's that or maybe it's just they finally had enough of Trump um, and uh, something was just the straw that broke the camel's back but Trump is in a very dire situation amongst those two demographics and without them and without some form of regaining of some of that that part of the vote, it becomes very, very difficult for him to kind of plot a course to victory anywhere, to, to be quite frank with you. I think, uh, spot on, uh, but I also think that when you're looking at polls, yes, their margin of issue. I'm, I'm of the belief that I always add the margin of error just to, if it's a larger number than greater than 10, I just add the margin of error to whoever's losing or take it off the winner just to see it's probably a bit closer. But I, I always tell people to follow the demographics, breakdowns of a poll in terms of the, as you said, 65 and older seniors, the white non-educated, uh, white uh, college age, women in general, the the women one, break down to see like how the demographics are, because that's more telling than the, probably the top line, the top line, because you can probably see that across multiple polls and seeing if it, if it follows this fact that he has a 20% lead among women versus one. And you can see that that if 
that is a good one to see the strength or weakness of of a, of of one candidate. But the other thing I think is to keep to keep in mind is that isn't going to be shown exactly in polls, but is it, it, the conventional wisdom is high turnout favors Democrats. It just does. Low turnout favors Republicans. It, it, it's because their established voting blocking Republicans will always vote because they have they don't move. They have their houses. They know where they poll. They, they're more stable and, and have a better understanding. The more one would say less static, more dynamical, dynamic voting groups in terms of where they live and stuff like that and not kind of settle down is going to be Democrats. So turnout already is up. So if you were to keep this regular poll and increase it to be greater than than what it was in 2016, you can guarantee to always give a better chance to Democrats, depending on what your polls in, because you could have a dead heat of a race. And if you have high turnout, you're will probably end up in a Democrat winning that now closely, but will most likely, you know, but but you know that high turnout favors Democrats because it's getting the low propensity voters, uh, low propensity voters will come out and actually vote and they most likely will vote for Democrats. I think it's really good, but Steve, you're spot on on what you were saying. And the other thing too is Cook Political just changed this uh, South Carolina Senate to toss up. There's too much hope. Does anyone want to cast any rain on any parade? I can. No. <laughs> don't don't do it. Don't validate his pessimism. If you call it scepticism, it's all right. It sounds fine. It, it sounds scientific then. <laughs> yeah, Patrick. Before you before we started recording, you said that maybe Trump had a chance to try and change the narrative. Over the had a few points to try and change the narrative in this campaign in the last week or two, and hasn't done that. Do you want to expand on any of that? And do you think he'll have a chance of? changing the dial in the next couple of weeks? Oh, absolutely. As president and the fact that he will get coverage, and especially, uh, you know, uh, during a pandemic where if you have some good news to put out, you win. But he's had a couple of very good moments to change the narrative, and uh, he hasn't. So the debate we've talked about previously, the debate was one of those spots, um, not, I don't know, rushing a Supreme Court justice before passing the next version of Corona stimulus would have been a good one to change the narrative and saying this is important, but we have to take care of people first. Another point would be exactly like you got COVID and maybe don't say don't let COVID dominate your life. It's not that bad. You had a moment to say, I understand what you people are going through. 207,000 of my fellow citizens have of our fellow citizens have died and we need to take this seriously. Killing a stimulus bill that is exactly which is the best version of retail politics is putting money in people's putting money in people's pockets especially right before a election doesn't make sense like he, he's had options to change the narrative to to make it not about it's, it's now become a coronavirus election and he could have he had examples of where three, two especially examples of last week to write to to bring the narrative in favor of him in terms of coronavirus and he totally just did the opposite, for lack of a better term. But does he have more uh, options to change an narrative? Yes. And I can't wrap my head around the messaging and this general strategy that this campaign is doing. But I would imagine what I see he's probably depending on is he really is pushing for a vaccine to be released prior to the election. Now, by how people are voting, a lot of people have vote, a lot of people are already voting or will be voting in a couple of weeks that a October surprise or at the end of it isn't really going to have the same 
impact that it would have had in 2016. I think he's also, depending on voter suppression, add the barriers of entry for people to vote. And I think also he's also then depending that he's just going to contest this in, in the courts with a justice system that most likely will favor him from Supreme Court justice into the federal court system. And he is just going to, a war of attrition will end up winning, will end up in his favor. And uh, that doesn't seem like the greatest campaign strategy. I generally think telling people why you're great for them is probably a better move than I don't believe you're going to make the right choice. So I'm just going to make sure through all of the obscure and in gray area stuff that I can take advantage of, I will still be your president for the next four years. Just doesn't. It's not as it's not it, it it's it's not as catchy as Obama's hope. No, I, I think the I think the main thing though with what you said there is that yeah, Trump does still have opportunities potentially to you know change the change the narrative, but one, it's Donald Trump. We know what he's like now. The chances of that happening are quite slim, and two, the likelihood of that happening is is even less than it than it would be normally because his campaign has been <laughs> massively infected by by COVID nineteen. Um, so they're not working at full capacity for the next couple of weeks, a very important couple of weeks. So they're not going to be able to um, change that narrative. Trump's not going to be in a condition to do any more debates, even if he wanted to. He would look so bad. There, there's no way his his campaign will let him, um, I would have thought. So he's missing out on those opportunities as well. And there's potentially as well, like he's been on dexamethasone, which is a very strong corticosteroid, which has been known to affect people's moods and kind of have, have effects on people's behavior. Um, so it could be potentially even whilst he's on this, that he's not even thinking fully straight, even for himself. I mean, I, I was just quickly uh, looking up and um, I think it was Chris Saliza from CNN was reporting how this morning Trump tweeted, something like 48 times, um, all in like mostly in caps um, with misspellings, poor punctuation, all of those, all those sorts of things, um, complaining about all kinds of things for how like Democrats were corrupt. And this is not a man who's clearly focused on trying to, to change the narrative because he's just continuing on as normal. And if he continues on as normal, the polls stay the same or maybe even get worse for him. He's still going to win, though. There is a difference between us, he's uh, still going to win and he will still be president. Those aren't the same things. No, that's true. Yeah, that's that's the good point. That's like saying uh, that's the old. Uh, you've had enough to eat, right? Corey, bring us down one. But uh, the other thing, too, my favorite of all of those uh, tweets uh, from that uh, caps lock was the one where he he said he wasn't going to do a stimulus tax after the war, holding the country hostage. That you, if you want to have money and for the country to not, you know, grind or haunt elect me if you don't we're not i'm holding you for ransom but my favorite one is after he did that jerome powell the uh, the chairman of the of the uh, federal reserve said that there's basically a low chance that he basically said there's not enough money in the world that we could spend it to save the economy there's less chance of it there's a very low chance of any of it being inefficient and he then retweet quote retreated it and said truth wow nice economic infrastructure like if <laughs> something happened to it let's end it there because actually that that wasn't a very optimistic note almost to end so that makes me happy it's been one of those weeks I, I, i'm not allowing us to have hope it's fine thanks patrick we should check in in a couple of weeks we straight after this steve are going to do an episode that will go out to our champagners on patreon if anyone did want to support us uh where would they need to go 
Well, if you head over to patreon.com slash not enough champagne, um, you can go over there. You can throw us a few quid every month and uh, you'll gain access to, as Corey said, some uh, bespoke episodes, which are produced just for our, our, our regulars over there, um, as well as access to uh, other forms of content and uh, early access to a few bits and pieces as well. Our website is notenoughchampagne.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash notenoughchampagne. Our Twitter handle's at nochampagnepod. James Cram designed our logo. You can follow him on Twitter at James Cram. And Dave Depper composed our theme tune, Pookie Good Times. I'm at Paperback Rioter. I'm at Acoustic Radical. I'm at Cook 11 Happy plotting. Happy plotting.